0: Matthew, we'll be in Matthew chapter 12, continuing the series through the book of Matthew, this is message number 29, Lord of the Sabbath, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 12 verses 1 to 14, so I'm going to begin. Um, reading verses 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. So chapter 11 ended with a rebuke and an offer um, from Jesus. The, Jesus rebuked the cities of Galilee in particular because... They had seen the most miracles performed in them. They had witnessed firsthand the words and the works of Jesus. And large crowds had even followed him. But they were rebuked because they had not repented. They had rejected the ministry of John, they'd also rejected the ministry of Jesus. Now, Jesus' words seem especially surprising Uh, as you're reading along in Matthew and you come to chapter 11 and you you read these woes pronounced to these cities and this rebuke that Jesus gives very severely. um, He had large crowds following him. He hadn't faced a lot of open opposition at this point. Now, as we read that last part of chapter 11, Jesus proclaimed his deity um, and part of that meant that he knew who believed and who didn't. Now, Matthew doesn't specifically refer to that, but um, he didn't need open opposition to know that. John refers to that, in fact. John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, and again in John chapter 6, and verse number 64. Jesus knew all men, and he knew what was in them, and he knew who believed, and he knew who did not. So again, even though it's somewhat surprising that we get this rebuke because they had not repented, it's not surprising, especially when Jesus emphasizes his deity to realize that he knew very well who believed and who did not believe, who was following because they had seen the miracles and, and whatever other motives and things that they had. Well, another thing that Jesus knew was that he knew the will of God. And he knew the will of God was for him to die for the sins of his people. He was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And so he also knew that this current fanfare um, that what he was seeing was not going to continue Um, they would ultimately reject him to his death so in in those cases it's not quite as surprising that jesus says what he says at this point now jesus also contrasted himself with the wise and the understanding leaders who had wearied the people with their uh, impossible uh, unbearable burdens And he called all men to come to him, find rest that they could never find, toiling under the burden of the Old Covenant and the traditions of the elders. So now we come to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, uh, Matthew gives us a series of interaction episodes. In fact, it's it's kind of a long chapter, but we'll have a series of of these episodes in this chapter. Before we get to the next long teaching section um, that begins there in chapter 13, so the chapter, uh, chapter 12 opens with two Sabbath controversies. The first is an accusation the Pharisees bring of Sabbath breaking, and the second involves a miracle but focuses more on the question of Sabbath breaking than it really does on the miracle. And both of these episodes highlight the fact that the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, They are watching Jesus, and they are watching his disciples closely, and they're looking for an occasion against them. You see, they cannot deny that he is working powerful miracles, and so they must find other ways to try to discredit and formally charge him. So as we look at this passage, we'll look at each um, episode in turn in verses 1 to 8. The question of what is unlawful on the Sabbath, um, the Sabbath breaking of the disciples in verses 9 to 14, um, the Sabbath healing. So we'll begin with the first part. Let's look at verse 1 again. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. So immediately following the rebukes for non-repentance, Matthew gives an account of Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath day. So they're walking along the path by a field of of standing grain. And as they walked, they picked off grain, they rubbed it in their hands to get the kernels out, and then they ate them. This is what the disciples were doing as they're walking along this path. Verse number 2, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the sabbath day so the pharisees saw jesus and his disciples and what the disciples were doing and again it seems to indicate that they were watching closely looking for any misstep on the part of jesus or his disciples and especially on the sabbath day is that probably was one one of the things that provided them a great a great latitude for being able to accuse him so they accused his disciples of breaking sabbath law Now the weekly Sabbath was an important observance particularly in Second Temple Judaism. This is after the return from Babylon and the rebuilt temple and and that would include this intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament and leading into this first century time of Jesus and his disciples. The Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath was a very important observance to them and, and some of the uh, scholars and, and historians and such have noted that it that it ranked up there with circumcision in its importance level. Uh, it was very important um, to Second Temple Judaism, and during that time, after that partial return from Babylon, is the time when they really added many traditions to the actual laws pertaining to the weekly Sabbath. And many of these traditions would come out of the the rabbinical Questions and debates, and and even some cases that would come before them as they would as they would try to, to determine what exactly constituted breaking a Sabbath law. And so, for instance, the law prohibited um, bearing burdens on the Sabbath day, but the rabbinical traditions had by this time added many rules to this about the burdens, so that so that people wouldn't accidentally violate the law on the sabbath day it's a term uh, referred to as fencing the law so so they they didn't even want to get close to breaking the law so it would in essence be um you know we have a a stated posted speed limit of 45 miles an hour out here on this on this stretch of road uh i'm not sure what it actually is but but let's say that the posted limit is 45 um and so we decided you, you know what we don't we don't want to break the law, so we're we're gonna we're gonna change that to forty, and then we're gonna change it to thirty five. And that way, if somebody exceeds thirty five, maybe they creep up to forty. Well, they're still within the limits of the law. Now that's sort of the idea, along with some of this, and and trying to apply this to different cases. So they added all of these sort of rules and traditions about the Sabbath day and what constituted um, bearing a burden. So, for instance, one of the rabbinical deliberations and questions that, that they debated about was whether or not a, a, a man that was a tailor. So by occupation um, he earns his living by the, the making and, and the mending and the altering of, of clothes and things and deals with fabrics and such. So as, as such one of his tools of trade then would be a sewing needle. So if the tailor carried a sewing needle on the Sabbath day would that be bearing a burden? And of course, they had decided that it would be, that it would be a violation of the Sabbath law because he is a tailor and that's his occupation, that's one of his tools of trade, and he carries that needle on the Sabbath day, he's actually broken the law against bearing a burden on the Sabbath day. So here, the Pharisees would have condemned Jesus' disciples on at least two grounds. Number one, they were picking grain. So they were harvesting or working on a Sabbath day. And number two, they were preparing food. So on at least those two grounds, they, they would have said that the disciples were violating the Sabbath law. Now as we read the account of what was taking place here on the Sabbath day, it's, it's worth noting that there were actually no laws in the Old Covenant against what the disciples were doing. There's nothing in the Old Covenant that would prohibit them or condemn them for picking that grain and eating it. Now, the law did specifically allow a man who was hungry to pick from a field that he didn't own. So if he's walking along the path of his neighbor's field or or someone else's field in in Israel, the law... um, allowed him to pick from that field in order to eat because he was hungry. The law also then would have expressly forbidden the owner of that field from preventing that man from doing so. He had to allow that man to do so. Now what the law did did say on the Sabbath day, it didn't say anything about that on the Sabbath day, good or bad, but on the Sabbath day it did prohibit planting a field and it did prohibit reaping a field. And so obviously the, the Pharisees might want to try to stretch that to make that reaping what the disciples were doing. Uh, passages like Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 and 25, um, Exodus chapter 34 and verse 21, are a couple places that, that would refer to this. So they had violated tradition, but they had not violated anything in the old covenant law by what they were doing. So Jesus responds. Look at, at verses 3 and 4. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was unhungered and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the show bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? So Jesus responds essentially with a couple of questions um, to them uh, rather than really a direct answer. And he's referring here to um, 1 Samuel chapter number 21, When David was fleeing from Saul and he stopped and he asked the priests for bread because he was hungry. Now this showbread that's being spoken of uh, was the 12 loaves of bread that was to be baked fresh on the Sabbath day. And it was to be placed on the table in the holy place in the tabernacle and later in the temple. The 12 loaves from the previous Sabbath day then, it would be there all week, and then the the loaves from the previous Sabbath day that would be replaced by the fresh bread, those would be eaten by the priests. And you can read about this, Leviticus chapter 24, um, verses 5 to 9. Now, David was from the tribe of Judah. He was not from the tribe of Levi. And it would have been unlawful for him to eat that bread. But the point that Jesus is making is that David was guiltless in eating this bread, and the Pharisees could not account for that with their system of traditions. And In fact, this, was, this question was one that, that was just a perpetual debate among the rabbis going back generation after generation after generation that they never really could settle this question. Did David break the law or not? Was David guilty or was David guiltless in this account? Well, Jesus is making the point here that David was guiltless in doing so. Um, the problem is one that involves the concept of heavy laws. And, and we talked about this uh, back particularly when we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus affirmed the concept of heavy laws. Now, when I talk about heavy laws, I'm, I'm saying which, which law weighs more when trying to keep maybe a couple of different laws actually comes into conflict. You can't, you can't seem to keep both laws and, and do the same thing. You're going to break one or the other. And so the concept was, well, which law in that case is weightier? Which is heavier? Which, which weighs more? Which, which is the more important law that you, sh- that you should observe rather than the other? And again, Jesus completely affirms this concept um, when he speaks in the Sermon on the Mount about greater and lesser commandments. And then, of course, later when he's um, denouncing the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, he talks about weightier matters of the law. So Jesus completely affirms that there are heavy commandments. And so in some cases, some will weigh more than others. Now, that's the, con- the, the concept of heavy law, the precedence, when laws seem to be in conflict. And if you remember the example from Matthew chapter number 5, Jesus talked about one that was bringing uh, a free will offering to be offered and remembers that he has an outstanding offense with his brother. And Jesus said, leave your gift and go be reconciled. Then come back and offer your gift. In other words that the reconciliation of that offense was heavier than the offering of a free will offering. Now, of course, to the Pharisees, they interpreted that exactly in the reverse because the offering of a, of a free will offering was a ceremonial observance and really nothing can trump that. Ceremony must be upheld at all costs in the Pharisees' mind and in, their, in their view. So the Pharisees thought that the offering was heavier, and than the need to reconcile. And again, Jesus said the opposite. So, what's going on here? Well, David was starving. If if you recall, David is is fleeing. All right this this was not um, this was not a, a, a trip that he had um, well prepared for and, and planned out in advance and, and was well provisioned. Um, he he basically left with the clothes on his back. He's hungry doesn't have food doesn't have doesn't have any place to get food and so his only hope of food was eating of this bread so this would correspond to what Jesus says and here and as well as in some other places where he essentially says that doing good and the saving of life was always lawful it's always lawful and it is heavier in this case than the laws pertaining to the bread, which were ceremonial in nature. Verse number 5. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So the second question now has to do with how the priests and the Levites had to work on the sabbath day they had to work they had to prepare food they baked those 12 loaves every every sabbath every weekly sabbath they had to do a lot of things in order to maintain the temple services and jesus says they were guiltless in doing so so in order to serve the temple they had to break the sabbath regularly and jesus says they were not guilty for doing so. Again, another difficulty for um, the Pharisaic view concerning the law and all of their traditions. Now, in this case, the laws of temple service for the priests and the Levites would then be, be heavier than the laws of the Sabbath. And so they, they were not breaking the Sabbath in serving the temple as they were required to do on the sabbath days as well as every other day of the week verse number six but i say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple well jesus is greater than the temple the temple is just an earthly temple that's a shadow of the true heavenly temple it's something that the writer of hebrews especially keys on it's just a it's just a a shadow of of the reality and Jesus Christ is the reality. He is the greater. So Jesus is greater than the temple and we would also say that the law of Christ is also greater than the law of Moses and the old covenant. The the law of Christ, the new covenant, greater than the law of Moses and the old covenant. That law of Moses, and that old covenant was only for a time just like that temple just like that tabernacle, just a, just a shadow that was passing away, the writer of Hebrews talks, talks about. So Jesus and his law then is heavy. And plus we might also add that the law of Christ doesn't anywhere command any kind of observance of the Sabbath day. Then we go to verse number 7. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So here Jesus quotes again from Hosea chapter 6 and verse number 6, which reads, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So the context of Hosea chapter number 6 is in reference to Israel and Judah and how that they would oftentimes, quote-unquote, repent and turn to the Lord. But it would only last as long as the morning dew on a hot day. So the dew quickly disappeared just like their newfound wholehearted commitment to follow the Lord and to keep his word. And again, the word for mercy in Hosea chapter 6 and verse number 6, it is the Hebrew word chesed. And it is something like loyal love or covenant faithfulness. It, it does have the ideas of compassion um and goodness, but it 's also steadfastness and and faithfulness in other words, this word is a word that implies some kind of a relationship that that there is fidelity due in, because of that relationship. so it is often used with covenantal reference to god 's unfailing faithfulness to Israel and his promises to them. And, and we certainly should recognize that as much as we have encountered this word in the Psalms and seen how that it has been used as well as in some other places in the Old Testament. So Hosea 6.6 then means not that God just desires generally to show compassion to your fellow man. It means that God desires loyalty and covenant faithfulness more than he desires sacrifices of animals. See, the writer of Hebrews pointed out how that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It's not It's not effective for that. It's not, it's not effectual to do that. And, and it was never purposed to do that. The old covenant was given to prove Israel. It was given to prove them, not to save them. It was given to prove them. It wasn't given because God just delights in the killing of animals and the shedding of their blood, that was was ineffectual. He's saying he did not desire that. He desires chesed much more than he desires any slaughtering of animals. So Jesus has already shown how that the, the Sabbath was outweighed in some ways, which also tells us then that the Sabbath is not some sort of inviolable morality it it was given as as part of the law it was something that God required from them but it wasn't something that was intrinsically right or wrong so to speak and Jesus is saying if they had understood this and they had understood what God was saying to Israel. It's not about the sacrifices, and how oftentimes Israel, how did how did they seek to sort of make up to God? Well, they they'd want to offer more. Let's make more offerings. Let's offer more animals. Let's 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 bring more. And and someplace he said, you know, that there could be rivers of blood, and he has no pleasure in it. So if they had understood this, if they had understood that God wanted covenant faithfulness, then they would have looked at the Sabbath differently and they would not have condemned the guiltless, his disciples who were completely not guilty in the case of breaking Sabbath law. Verse number eight, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Jesus ended his saying here by emphasizing that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, the Son of Man is the Messianic title. We've, we've encountered it a number of times. We've gone back to the Old Testament to look at its, at its roots and, and what it means. It has to do with the kingdom and the lordship of the king. Jesus is essentially here then asserting his authority as lawgiver, which was noted in the Sermon on the Mount, something that's continually alluded to when Jesus says things like, but I say unto you. And then we get to the second part, as this proceeds into a further Sabbath controversy and healing on the Sabbath day, beginning with verse number 9. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. So Jesus left from the confrontation with the Pharisees, and he went into the synagogue. And of course, we learn that his manner or his habit was to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath days where services were held which it's also worth noting, is nowhere commanded in the Old Covenant. There there are no synagogues in the Old Covenant. There are no synagogue services in the Old Covenant. That is something that had developed within Judaism and particularly within that second temple era. But Jesus did attend the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Verse number 10, And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? Now, the word for withered that's used here, it means dry or or dried up. So it was either some sort of a deformity because of a birth defect or uh, some sort of an an atrophy due to paralysis from disease or injury. Uh, It had caused his hand to be non-functional. Now, the Pharisees are asking Jesus here, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Almost as if they're anticipating, here's this crippled man, and surely Jesus is going to heal him on, on the Sabbath day. And so they preemptively ask this question. Matthew adds that they question, their questioning of Jesus was an attempt to entrap him and to give them grounds to be able to formally charge him. Now, we can't go so far as to say, they had arranged the crippled man. I mean, I, we can't envision some sort of scenario where they're uh, tossing him a few shekels out behind the synagogue, you know, to, to come in and, and to be there in, in Jesus' way and set this whole thing up. Uh, we certainly can't, can't go that far to say. But we can, also, we can see that they were certainly happy to use this man's handicap for their own advantage when they try to entrap Jesus. Now, it's also worth noting, The Old Covenant law did not prohibit medical treatments on the Sabbath day. Now, the rabbinical traditions, they did have restrictions on medical treatments on the Sabbath day. And uh, at this time uh, they would have allowed, uh, I believe, three specific exemptions to medical treatment on the Sabbath day. One was that midwives could work on the Sabbath day and I think this was mainly because for all of their rabbinical deliberations they could not figure out how to delay childbirth so that a baby wouldn't be born on the Sabbath day so they had they had to allow the, the midwives to work on the Sabbath day. The second was circumcision by the law was required at eight days old and so obviously that's going to fall on, on the Sabbath day a lot of the times and when it did that circumcision could be performed. And obviously here we can see in this case, they would have viewed the circumcision as heavier than the Sabbath day. It was an, it was an act that was considered sacred and, and more weighty, and so that would have been permitted. And otherwise, their, their other exception was only in extreme life-threatening cases could any sort of medical aid or treatment be given? And, of course, that's going to give rise to more deliberations about what really constituted life-threatening situations and, and so on. Now, the traditions, to my knowledge, did not say anything specifically about miraculous healings being prohibited on the Sabbath day. Nor did the old covenant laws anything about miraculous healings taking place on the Sabbath day. But they have put this question to Jesus. Verse number 11, and he said unto them, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? So again, Jesus did not answer them directly, but he posed a further question to them. Now, the old covenant law did not prohibit the saving of an animal like a sheep that had fallen into a pit on the Sabbath day. Um, he asserted, then, that all of them would get that animal out. And it brings us to verse 12. How much, then, is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it's lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. So Jesus asks them, then, if a man is greater, or being consistent, we might say, is a man heavier than a sheep and of course they would have had to have answered yes that he was I mean even their own traditions allowed medical treatment in in the in the case of a life-threatening situation um, to save a life and Jesus concludes then that it was lawful to do good on the sabbath day which would include healing verse 13 then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. So he commands the man to stretch out his hand, and his hand was completely healed. It's restored, it says, just like his other hand. It's completely healthy. It's completely sound. So Jesus, in fact, did heal this man on the Sabbath day. And in verse 14, Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. So Matthew notes here how that the Pharisees conspired against them. And based on what we've read, even just in Matthew's gospel, where we can look at other gospel accounts as well, they were already in conspiracy against Jesus. I mean, even the asking of the question, they were, in, they were trying to entrap him at that point. So the language that's being used here about the, the taking of counsel and such it it doesn't mean that they were trying to decide whether or not to kill Jesus but rather they were trying to decide how to do it because of course they can't unlawfully put a man to death using uh means that would violate the law and the tradition of the elders so they had to they had to figure out how that they're going to accomplish this and and we will see these conflicts sort of escalate as they continue to ask questions and they try to come up with scenarios to try to, try to entrap him and, and in some way to be able to formally charge him. And obviously they're going to have to get the Romans involved if they're going to carry out um, an execution of this nature. So there's a lot of things there to try to figure out. But they were certainly well motivated to, to continue these talks and this conspiracy. So when they asked about healing on the Sabbath day, well, they were obviously watching him. They were trying to get something on him. Now, this is the first time in Matthew's gospel that we see them um, plotting to kill him, but we know that they already were because they had rejected him, in fact. And the rest of the account, as we go on in Matthew's gospel, is only going to build on this until he actually is crucified. So as we think about this passage, think about this question about healing that the Pharisees put to Jesus. It shows us a few things on the one hand. It shows us that the Pharisees had certainly accepted that Jesus had the power to heal. They knew that he did. And the presence of this crippled man in the synagogue was, was just a, a perfect setup for them ask this question and of course they will later supply an answer or an explanation of the power that Jesus had they don't deny that he has great power but where does that power come from that's what they're going they'll they'll talk about that uh, a little later here in this chapter but they had accepted the fact that he had the power to heal It also goes along with the previous chapter and the fact that they had not repented. They had seen his miracles, and they certainly witnessed this one close up. They could not deny what had happened and what they had seen. They'd seen his miracles, and they they were also repeatedly stymied. (laughs) When they tried to entrap him on matters of the law, they, they were never successfully able to do it. So again, they also had accepted the fact this man has great knowledge of the law. Now, where he came by that and all, all that, they, they uh, don't know what all their ideas were about that, but they had certainly accepted he's got great power, he has a lot of knowledge, expert-level knowledge about the law. But also, despite all of that, they had not believed. They had not repented. And I would say that it stands as a good warning to us as well. We must beware that we don't value our own righteousness above Jesus Christ.